Thanks, Jeremy. All right, hey, let's give it up for the worship team. Thank you guys for leading us in the presence of God. Such a gift, such a blessing. Hey, let's give it up also for our setup and teardown team. We had some guys out in the snow this morning putting flags out. Give it up for that crew. Thank you, guys. Where are you? Raise your hand if you're on the setup team this morning. Go ahead. Raise your hand up. All right, let's go. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Take it on for the team for sure. Well, good morning, guys. My name is Mitchell. If I haven't met you yet, I'm the lead pastor here at Antioch. And excited to get into the Word of God with you guys. And if you are a guest underneath your chair, don't forget there's a little uh, Connect card. We'd love for you to fill that out and take it to the Connect table uh, or Connect booth right outside by those cold doors there, uh, in the little cold icebox section that we like to say there. Anyways, I'm excited for this morning. Um, I've got a couple of an- announcements and reminders, and then we'll get into the message. But um, one is how many guys got to play in snow yesterday? Anybody? Come on, you got out there, even without kids. Yeah, yeah, great, good. There's a little, there's a little hill right by our house that we went to. It was great. It was awesome. Um, but there's uh, also wanted to say we're going to take another maybe 10 seconds here and pray for some folks. There's uh, quite a few folks out because of sickness, uh, a few folks have COVID. There's a few people that are here recovered, praise God. Uh, but there's still a few others that are, um, sorry, <laughs> they're recovered, then they're here. Anyways, uh, but we're going to pray right now as a church family and pray for healing over all those that are still recovering. All right, so y'all agree with me. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your power. We thank you for your healing. And we even thank you for the ways you made our bodies. And Lord, all those that are still recovering from COVID or other sicknesses, God, we ask you in Jesus' name for strengthening and a healing and that you would completely rid their bodies of this virus. And Lord, they'd all recover quickly in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen. All right, another thing is last uh, week, I believe it was, we had a big announcement that um, a big next step for us as a church is we actually have our very first ever church building that we got just a few weeks ago, 2211 Hawks Landing. So we in about, uh, I think it's, we got how many more Sundays? Four more Sundays here, if you include today, five. February 13th is our last Sunday here at the Holiday Inn. And then February 20th, we're going to be meeting at 2211 Hawks Landing, which is just, this is huge for us. This is such an answer to prayer, such a blessing, and a big next step for us. You know, we are um, about two years in to being a church, and for the Lord to bless us and give us this open door and the connections that he did for this place is just a huge place of establishment here in Northwest Arkansas, so we're so thankful for that. Uh, with that, um, when we, God asks us to take another big step and when we're going to do something like this, it's going to require a team effort of just what does it look like for us to make this type of transition. And of course, it's with your gifts, your talents, your, your um, skills that you have that you bring to the table. We're also going to be raising some funds. And um, in two weeks from today, we're going to have what we're going to call Giving Sunday. Everybody say Giving Sunday. We're on that Sunday in a worshipful environment, similar to what Jeremy was just saying. Anytime that we give gifts, we want to, uh, to the local church, to God, to missionaries, to whatever, we always want to do so worshipfully and cheerfully. And on that Sunday, we're going to carve out some time to actually like give gifts. So if, if you have something you want to give, that would be the Sunday to bring a check, or uh, there's some online ways to do that, and we're going to make space for people to do that. Here's, I'm going to show you a little bit of a breakdown of some numbers, just so you guys know what we are raising and so we are doing a one-time goal of $50,000, and great news is we already have 10 of those 50, so praise God, a couple generous donations already, so we only got 40 left, and then we're raising $3,000 a month to help with some of the ongoing expenses as well, and here is just, a, kind of gives you a breakdown of what that would look like to get to those goals. Of course, you can give whatever you want to give, but 
other than obviously meeting these goals, there's actually two other goals I wanted to share with you guys that actually matter more to me. And here, here, here it is. One, I would love for 100% engagement from our church body. So here's what I mean by that. I would rather have all of us give something, even if you feel like it's little, than for just one or two people to give $50,000. Because I want this to be a church-wide corporate win. It is a bigger win when we do something together than just a few people put everything on their back. And so I want my biggest goal is 100% engagement. Now, I know there's a few guests here, a few new faces. Of course, there's never any pressure. But if you're here and you're enjoying it and you want to just sow a seed, then great. Uh, but there's no expectation. But really, for those that call this place your church home, would love for all of us to contribute whatever you can. Then the second goal would be joyful giving. I'm going to reiterate what Jeremy just said, uh, but there's also just scriptures about how this is what God wants. He wants joyful, cheerful giving. No obligation, no pressure, but with joy we give to the work of the Lord. And I've been reading in uh, Chronicles uh, where the people of God, really when David passed the kingdom off to Solomon, they were building this, this house for the Lord. And it said that all these people were rejoicing in their giving of their free will offerings, is what it said. And I've just been looking at it, I'm like, man, that is awesome. If you give, I want you to do it joyfully, and I would love for as many people as possible to, to do so. Does that make sense? So we'll, um, next week, we'll, be, we'll have like some commitment cards, so take some time. You can take a picture of that if you want, but there's also a resource we'll give you guys next week just to take some time to prayerfully consider what can you do. And there's intentionally um, you know, high numbers and low numbers because all of us are at different places. And so I want you to feel confident and joyful about, I see a, call, a couple of college students like, yeah, uh, uh, confident and joyful in what you can contribute. Uh, my wife and I personally have raised some financial support in different ministry endeavors we've done, including planning this church. And one of our, my favorite donors, if I can have a favorite donor, is uh, a girl that confidently gave us a one-time gift of about $50. And then she faithfully, for a three to five years, gave us $3 a month. $3 a month to support the work that we were doing and the ministry we were doing. And, she, and why she was my favorite is she never apologized. She never said, I wish I could do more. She just confidently gave what she gave. And I was like, yes, this is what I'm talking about. You know, Jesus, like, celebrated this, this woman. She had, like, two might, and she gave. And I just, I love that. So give what you can. Do it joyfully. And we're going to, like, this is going to be a team win. All right? Everybody say team win. Team win. Get a team victory. Let's go. This is a season of victory, guys. I told some of you guys. We started basketball league, and, and we are 2-0. and Let's go. The Lord's lads is what we're called. Also, my boys have a basketball team. We're also 2-0. and Let's go. Now, don't, I mean, if you don't hear from me any updates on our, on, our, uh, on our standings, then maybe we lost a few. But so far, undefeated. All right, moving on. Y'all good? Let's get to the message. All right, Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Pray you'd speak to us through it. And we just thank you for this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so what I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to start a three-week series called Pillars. Pillars. This is taken from Revelation chapter 3, verse 12, which I'm going to read Revelation 3 in just a second. But let me read this one line that talks about pillars. It says this in verse 12, Revelation 3. It says, The one who conquers, or the one who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Everybody say the word pillar. Pillar. So what we're going to be doing is we're going to be talking about what it means to be a pillar in the temple of God, or the sanctuary of God, or the house of God. And my hope is that through this series, you feel strengthened personally, but really what I'm wanting is for us corporately to have this resolve that whatever this means, we're, we want to be a pillar. We want to be a pillar in the house of God. And I think it's very much connected to this big next step uh, 
that we're taking as a church of getting to our own place and no longer here the Holiday Inn. I think it's connected because I feel like what God is doing is he is preparing us for more. And what we're going to need in order to carry what God wants to give us is we're going to need lots of strong pillars. The more pillars you have, the more weight you can carry. And so we're going to be unpacking what that looks like to be a pillar in the house of God. But first, let me tell you guys a little bit of a backstory. Then we're going to get into Revelation chapter 3 and talk about pillars. What I want to do is I want to give you a few more details of the backstory of the Lord providing this building for us. And you might think, you know, what's the big deal? It's just a different place we're going to meet for church. Well, God's provision is a big deal. Amen. When God provides something you're specifically asking him for, it's a big deal. But also, oftentimes when God's meeting a practical need, he's doing a lot more under the surface <laughs> inside of our hearts in a deeply meaningful and spiritual way. So for us, that's look like learning to trust him, learning to wait for him, learning to rely on him. Uh, going to him when we feel disappointed. All these things, God's doing something on the inside of us and sharpening our character, and it matters a lot. And I want to kind of bring you guys into that process. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to hopefully do it short, uh, but I'm going to share kind of the backstory in this transition that we're making in just a few weeks of going to our own building. I'm going to share it to you kind of like in three chapters, okay? Here you go. I got the three chapters on the board. How many of you guys like books? You, you like? Okay, great. Title is, I don't know, Pillars, sure. Let's go with Pillars. Here are the three chapters. Open and shut doors. There's a slide, I think. Overcoming witchcraft. Yes, that says witchcraft. And patient endurance. So here's a backstory that God's been writing for us as a church. Hopefully you feel oh, intrigued, especially that middle one. Here we go. So as it would be fitting, chapter one of this story, over the last six, this has been a six or seven month process, we have been consistently praying for open doors. We've been asking God, Lord, we feel like you're leading us to look for our own place. We started by just looking for offices, but then when the Holiday Inn canceled our contract, then we said, all right, we think we need something bigger and something for church as well. And we were faithfully praying for open doors. And uh, also, unfortunately, we came across more shut doors, at least in the first six months. Okay? But thankfully, in the last few uh, weeks, God opened up a door for us, and we're so, so thankful for this open door. Let me talk about overcoming witchcraft. Let me unpack this for a second, back up, and then I'll tell you what I mean by this. So many times, there is opposition from the enemy in the work of God. Think about the people of Israel. They received a lot of opposition. Think about the life and the ministry of Jesus. Did he receive opposition from the devil? Yes. Think about the 40 days in the wilderness where he's tempted. I think about, obviously, his death and his resurrection, the enemy trying to stop the work of God. You can think about the early church. Okay, so many times they would go to new cities to plant new churches, and not only would they receive persecution, but there are a couple stories of literally people following them around that had a demonic spirit and were just saying things to distract them. And, you know, of course, Paul's like, I rebuke you in Jesus' name, and the demon left, so praise God. Uh, let me go back to the people of Israel. This is a story that I'm going to reference in just a little bit, but um, there's a story of a guy named Balaam. This is in Numbers 22, 23, and 24. You can look at this for reference. But there's a guy that was hired by the king, I think, of the Moabites, and he was hired to say, hey, man, these Israelites are getting close to my land, and I'm scared. I've heard that their God does some things. And Balaam, what I need you to do is I need you to curse those people because whoever you curse is cursed, and whoever you bless is blessed. Anybody heard of that story in Numbers chapter 22? Balaam cursing. Okay, but guess what happened? Balaam could not curse the people of God. 
He tried to go get a curse, but then all that he spoke, this happened three times from different angles. They were seeing this massive group of people, and every time he went to a different kind of mountain, and he could only bless the people of God. Isn't that great? The enemy tries to do that's evil. The, the Lord turns it around for good and for blessing. So for us, in moving here and planting this church, it's been clear that there's been plenty of opposition that has come our way. Now, there's the category of normal trials and hardship that we've experienced, but there's also been quite a few things that, you know, this seems like in a different category, not just the sovereign trials that God wants us to walk through, but this looks like attack. This looks like demonic opposition, and this is not okay. Let me read a couple things that we've been through in the last couple years, and this is kind of an excerpt from my journal. It says this, to be honest, this is from November 22nd in 2021. So to be honest, Lord, it's felt like there's been legitimate warfare, witchcraft, or opposition against us these first two years of the church. Through a suicide three weeks before we launched services, to COVID happening worldwide, to fallout with those that have been with us from the beginning, to political tension and confusion, to hurtful accusations and slander from a former member, to my leg injury, if you guys remember, worst leg injury of my life, tore my calf and my Achilles, to COVID personal, to very difficult pastoral situations and deception that's led to even a divorce, to angry, yelling neighbors at a house that we own that ended up getting us out of the house, to unexpected hospital visits, to the hotel canceling our contract unexpected, and to many, many shut doors and levels of stress and anxiety that me, I personally have never experienced in my life. I wrote all those things down, but I also said, but we haven't quit. We haven't quit. The enemy would try to use hardship in our life to get us to quit. But what does God do? <laughs> He uses what the enemy intends for evil for our good. He uses those things to strengthen us, to strengthen our resolve, to cause us to dig deep and find out, oh, there is a greater strength inside of us by the Spirit of God than in my own strength. Now, let me talk about overcoming witchcraft. At, at one point, I think this was maybe last summer, I was talking with Jeremy, and I was just, I literally just posed this question to him in the midst of a lot of just hard things that have been happening. I was like, dude, I don't know about this, but... Like, what would you do if there were people actively cursing what we are trying to do as a church body in advancing God's kingdom? Like, what, what would you do, hypothetically, if that's happening? We talked about it for a little bit, and we came to the conclusion that we're not going to change much. We're going to keep praying, and we're going to keep fasting, and we're going to keep believing the gospel. We're going to keep pleading the blood of Jesus. We're going to keep doing these things, but we're just going to take it up a little, a little bit if that's the case. And, you know, I, I was hypothetically thinking maybe, you know, it seems like that. But then I feel like the Lord confirmed, like, yeah, there's been a little bit of that going on. And here's the confirmation. The first day that my family and I went to go see this new church building, we drive by, and we're excited. We had never driven by it before. We're looking at it with excitement. And then we turn and we look, and in the parking lot across the street, in the back of a pickup truck, there's a life-size mannequin witch with green skin, nasty hair, witch hat, pointing at the building. Pretty weird, huh? <laughs> I was like, hmm, I think something's going on here. So look into that. Now, you know, we processed this a lot over the last couple months, but here's what we did initially. I was with, it was just me and my family that saw this, and so we rebuked it in Jesus' name. And I got all of my children to do it, except for Ava. She's one years old. She can't talk yet, but I'm sure in the spirit she's going to war. But one by one in my family, we said, guys, we're going to rebuke the heck out of that little witch over there. In Jesus' name, I rebuke you. I cancel out any assignment of the enemy. You will not prevail over us. And then one by one, my children did it as well. Arabella, I rebuke you, devil. <laughs> you know, my three-year-old. Okay, we do it. 
we come back for like 45 or 50 minutes later uh, because we're meeting somebody for coffee for a little bit, and then we went to the building to go look around, and the witch was gone, which was great. So we rebuked it. It was gone. Awesome. No, no, no. The story gets better. <laughs> we took a lot of time to really process this, and I'm going to share a couple things about it because I think we, we need to know something here. I think God wants us to be reignited again in something. But let me first say this. When you hear a story like that or you see something like that, and we had to face this as well, you could be, your first response could be something in the category of fear. Like, oh, oh no, that looks evil, that looks dark. Oh no, watch out. But here's what I've been saying. The Lord does not direct or speak to his people through a spirit of fear. That is not from the Lord. Of course, he can give caution, he can give warnings, but it's drenched in peace. It's drenched in this thinking in the back of your mind that it's going to be okay. But the enemy comes with a spirit of fear. You better watch out. Something bad is going to happen. If you have an overwhelming sense of dread and fear and worry of evil, that is not the spirit of God leading you and speaking to you. That's called a spirit of fear. Also, <laughs> let me say it this way. If I would have seen that and we would have, said, and we would have just backed off, said, oh, okay, I guess, I guess we're not supposed to do this. All right, let's, let's go a different direction. If that's how the conclusion we would have made, that would have shown a misunderstanding in the authority of Christ. That would have shown a really big misunderstanding on who has the power and who has the authority. Let's say there was a real person that was involved in sorcery and witchcraft across the street, like a real person uh, cursing something as the people of God. We don't have to back down from that because who has the authority and the power? Jesus. And so I, it was just a, a sense and an invitation from the Lord to dig deep and figure out, do we believe that Jesus not the enemy, that Jesus is the one that has all authority and all power in heaven and earth. And our conclusion was, yes, he does. <laughs> and we're going to remind the devil of that, and we're going to rebuke every scheme of the enemy, and we're going to move forward in faith, knowing that the people of God are those that overcome. Amen? Amen. Well, here's a couple things also that I've been processing. I was like, Lord, and this is some excerpts from my journal, Lord, maybe this is like the story of Balaam, where the people of God tried to curse, or the, Balaam tried to curse the people of God, but he couldn't. He ended up blessing. Like, what if through this unique situation, there's, this is a word of direction and blessing that this is where we're supposed to go. Or maybe the enemy is just scared about what's going to happen in that place with the people of God that worship and pray and seek him and declare the gospel. I asked the staff, hey, what do you guys think when I told you that story and I had different responses? Somebody said, how dare the devil try to do that to us? But somebody else said, LOL, nice try, devil. You know, that was her response. So there's a variety of responses, but I just feel like through this experience, God has been putting in my spirit, and I want to invite you into it, just a fresh vigor and fight and belief in the authority of Christ. Amen? You guys believe he has all authority, even over the, the schemes of the enemy? All right, last chapter here of this story, patient endurance. This has been a very clear theme and a main thing that God's been speaking to my wife and I and to our staff in the process of planting this church. A couple specifics. Two months before we moved here, a guy came up to me and just said, hey, I feel like the Lord wants me to tell you something. And all he said was, patience. I was like, all right, great. Then when I injured my uh, leg, uh, worst injury in my life, as I processed that, I feel like the Lord was teaching me a lot of things, but the main thing he was highlighting was this phrase, patient endurance. Then uh, we took a little trip in July to Waco to go get super refreshed with other pastors and the Antioch movement, but Beth and I took a little detour for two and a half days to a hospital uh, because of our youngest, and uh, as we were there processing that experience, Beth kind of came out of a time with God and just said, I feel like the Lord's highlighting patient endurance again. It's been a theme throughout this whole journey. 
And honestly, guys, I'm thankful that this wasn't just super easy story. It's not just like an easy, peaceful, just, oh, this is a breeze. Planning a church is just easy. If you guys ever want to do it, just you know, don't even pray about it. Just go. No, no it's hard. <laughs> pray about it. Get God's blessing and grace. But I want you to see something in Revelation chapter 3, finally getting to Revelation 3 here, that the Lord, after I have been processing all three of those things, wait, wait, can you put the, um, the chapters up there just uh, again? I want you to understand something here. God speaks something, but then oftentimes, because we take a while to learn things, he like usually stamps it multiple times on us to make sure we know that he's actually speaking to us. So I had already been thinking about these three themes a lot, been journaling them, and then on November 30th, we had a day of prayer and fasting as a church, and I'm uh, sitting in a prayer meeting, and I, we were, worship was going on, and I was just looking at different kind of one-liners about how does the Bible describe Jesus in different ways. And I remembered in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, there's these descriptions of Jesus. And I got to Revelation chapter 3, uh, starting in verse 7. I'm going to read this, and I want you to, to see the common themes here. I was blown away. Ready? Here we go. Verse 7. It says, to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, the words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. Let me pause there. That got my attention because this was in the middle or towards the end, I guess, of this process of, Lord, open doors. Lord, please shut the wrong. I got, it got my attention. Verse 8 kept going. This is the Lord Jesus talking. He says, I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I was like, Wow, that's encouraging. We had this open door with Hawks Landing, and it looks like it's the only one that's staying open. Wow. I kept going. Jesus, again, this is Jesus talking. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. That was also incredibly encouraging. It's been many times the last couple years I have felt like I have little power, but I have been faithful to seek the Lord. And look at this. This is ridiculous. Verse 9. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie, Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Woo! You guys see the authority of Christ there? <laughs> those of the synagogue of Satan, those with evil power, the, the camp of the enemy, what does he end up doing for the people of God that endure? He bows down, and he's going to see that God loves us. Woo! That fires me up right there. <laughs> and I literally saw that, and I realized in my journal in processing that little experience with the witch thing, I literally wrote down, maybe the enemy is bowing down to us as, as a way to submit and say, this is going to be a blessing from God right there. I was like, oh, yes. But then look at this, verse 10. It kept getting better. At this point, I was still like upright, but after this, I fell down. Uh, it's, verse 10, because you have kept my word about what? Patient endurance. I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I was sitting down. I got to that point. I was like, this is too much. This is too interwoven. God is speaking directly to me. So I just kind of laid down, kind of wept a little bit. Just, oh, God, you're speaking. Isn't that encouraging? Like, this was written to the church in Philadelphia thousands of years ago to encourage them of what they were walking through. I read this November 30th, and I'm just wowed by such similarity that God may be speaking to us. Now, here's where I bring you guys into this whole story. One, I want you to know God's been doing something, and it's not just... 
Um, it's not just earthly. It's not just what me and the staff can do. It's not just us and our power trying to make something happen. No, we are seeking God, trying to advance God's kingdom and make disciples on the earth, and this is actually eternal. What you are part of is bigger than just, wow, we can impress somebody with our graphics or with our church or just in marketing schemes. No, what we want to see will not in this region will not happen by great marketing schemes. It will not happen by cool things and cool shirts. What will we need the power and presence of God. The kingdom of God is real. It is moving forward. And now is the hour for us as the people of God to rise up and say, I'm in it. And we're going to face darkness, but we're going to overcome. And we're going to keep moving forward. In Jesus' name. Now, as we start off this year, this word pillars was highlighted because I want you to see this journey that this church went through, and then what does the Lord speak to them? He says this in verse uh, 11. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers or the one who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven, and I will write my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So when I read that, I'm like, okay, cool, interesting promise. It, it did initially resonate with me, like pillar in the house of the Lord, great. We're about to get a church, and the primary purpose of the house of God in the Old and New Testament, do you know what the primary purpose of even having a building under the Lord is? Worship and prayer, connection with God. It was never about how beautiful, like, <laughs> well, they made it really beautiful as a way to worship, but it wasn't about that. It was about a place for the people of God to come and connect with God and to hear teaching, but a primary purpose. That spoke to me. I'm like, I, I'm excited. One of the main reasons I'm excited to have our own place is because it's going to up how much uh, flexibility and availability and accessibility we have to gather together as a church to worship and pray and seek God. So it was already speaking to me, but I started just thinking about it a little bit more, and, and that's what we're going to be unpacking for the next couple of weeks. But one more <laughs> story that happened. A week after I had this moment on November 30th, we get this email from the Antioch Church in College Station, which is the church that sent us out and to plant this one. And they said, hey, we spent some time praying, and here's a couple of things that we got. The very first passage on the email was, I feel like the Lord is saying, Revelation chapter 3, verse 11, 12, and 13. <laughs> I'm good. the one who overcomes, I'm going to make a pillar in the temple of my God. And I was like, no way. <laughs> God might be speaking to us. And so my conclusion is we need to take this seriously, figure out what it means to be a pillar in the house of the Lord, and then let's walk in the fruit of it as we, in a sense, obey or respond to this word. Amen? All right, there you go. There's my introduction. I'm about to pray, and then I'll start preaching. Lord, teach us, I pray, how to be a pillar in your house. Lord, over the next several weeks, Lord, teach us. We want to know. And Lord, I pray that this room be full of pillars, those that can uh, carry weight in the mission of God and the work of God and the house of God. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I'm going to go quick. Don't worry. You'll be out of here before one, I promise. Uh, here we go. The pillars is imagery used all throughout the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament. In the Old Testament, it was mainly monuments of remembrance. Uh, Genesis 28, look at this. Genesis 28, it'll be on the screen. This is the story of Jacob. It says, Early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. And then a couple of verses later, verse 22, says, This stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house, and of all that you give me, 
I will give a full tenth to you. It was a place of remembrance of what God's done and a place of like sacrifice and worship. It's where we get some of these ideas of the tithe. This is even before the law. It's just like a form of worship of I trust you, God, and remembering his faithfulness. Okay, also, I'm going to skip down. And I'm going to say uh, another reason in the Old Testament pillars were used was it spoke of the presence of God and it spoke of encounters with God. Here's a few examples from Exodus 13:22. It was the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night that did not depart from before the people. That was what was leading the Israelites. And then you see this cool encounter that Moses has in Exodus 33:9. It says, when Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. So it, it was speaking of this presence of God and these moments with God face-to-face with him. In the New Testament, there's the Revelation 3 passage that I just read, but also in Galatians chapter 2, it describes um, three men of God in the church. Galatians 2.9 says, When James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave me the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Okay, so it's talking about guys in the church that were pillars. And then also one more reference, 1 Timothy 3 talks about the church as the pillar and buttress of the truth, what supports the truth. There's a lot of um, information. There's a lot of narratives. I mean, think about just today. There's so many different opinions and narratives about what is actually going on in the world, what's actually going on in our healthcare system, what's actually going on in government, what's actually going on here, there, there. But the church, the people of God who are grounded in the word of God, we are the ones that are carrying the truth. That was free, but man, that was good. You need to hear that. Not the latest article from this side or that side. It, it is the people of God committed to the word of God that we are carrying the truth. Now, here's some working definitions about what a pillar could be as I've looked into these passages and thought about what this word means. So here's a slide that lists a couple things. Feel free to take a picture of it if you want. But a pillar is one who provides strength, stability, and support to the work of God in his church. Number two, a pillar is one who is securely established in the presence of God as a worshiper and intercessor. Three, a pillar is one who can be entrusted with people and responsibilities in the church. And then four is one that can carry weight and be relied upon. And carry weight and be relied upon. Another translation, Revelation 3.12, from the New Life version says, I will make the one who has power and wins, or the one who overcomes, an important part that holds up the house of God. So there's a few definitions of what this could look like. Those that can provide strength and support and stability and what God wants to do through his church. Those that are rooted and grounded in that place of prayer and worship and intercession. I started writing down what, what could it practically look like for us. Here's a couple of things I wrote down. It's those that love and know the word of God, those that serve consistently, those that use their gifts, and those that have healthy relationships with others within the church and can resolve conflict, those that are humble and willing to repent, those that give financially, those that forgive often and don't hold grudges, those that continually remember the gospel, which we'll come back to in just a second, those that are submitted and supportive and encouraging to the church leadership, those that continue to grow in holiness and never feel like they've arrived, and those that make disciples and consistently point people to Jesus, not themselves. So that's a couple ways it could look, but I've kind of summarized that list into three things that we'll be diving into over the next uh, couple weeks. And here's the, the phrasing that you can remember I put on the slide. Those that are pillars are those that are grounded. Everybody say grounded. Those that are activated, say activated. And those that are dedicated, say dedicated. What I mean by grounded is those grounded in the gospel 
activated, I mean those that are activated in the purposes of God and dedicated means in their time, talents, and treasure. So that's what we're going to be doing. I'm going to talk just for a second as we close up about what does it look like to be grounded in the gospel. Next week, I'll talk about what does it look like to be activated in the purposes of God. And then January 30th, Jeremy is going to preach on being dedicated. What does that look like? So let's talk about being grounded in the gospel. Okay, how many of you guys are thankful that Jesus died for you? Anybody thankful in this house? Come on. Anybody thankful that he rose from the dead and had victory over sin, over the devil, over evil, and over death? Praise God for the gospel. Let me just remind you of a short version of the gospel. We were created by God for relationship with him. Literally the primary purpose of you existing, relationship with God. Not your job, not how much money you're going to get, not how many open doors you're going to get. The primary purpose of your existence is to know God, to have a relationship with him. Unfortunately, our sin broke that relationship with God. It caused a separation, it caused a distance, and it caused a spiritual death to us. If that separation is not resolved, then we will spend eternity apart from him. But thanks be to God, he sent Jesus, the perfect sacrifice for our sin, dying on the cross. What he did through shedding his blood and raising from the dead is he broke that separation and brought us close to God again. Isn't that great news? Woo, it's great news. It's what we're made for through the gospel. If we put our faith and our trust in him and his death and his resurrection, then we can be reunited with God and live with him now and live with him forever. It's great good news. It's the gospel. And I just feel like as we start this year, in just a little bit, we're going to do communion at the end of this service. I just want us to be grounded again in the gospel. I've said this over the years. like I never want to drift too far from the gospel. I never want to drift too far. There's a lot of things we can go into in the word of God. There's a lot of great teachings out there that we can go super deep in all these different areas. But we, just, we are always anchored in the cross and the resurrection. We are always anchored in who Jesus is and what he did for us. Always. Because when we keep coming back, we remember we need him. He alone is our righteousness, and we can walk free. Here's three other things that I'm going to break down right now as we close that happens when we really are grounded in the gospel. And what the gospel does is it resolves the issue or the topic of sin. Everybody say sin. Okay, we are not fans of sin around here. <laughs> okay. Sin is horrible. It's evil. It looks enticing at times, but it never leads to what it promises. It always leads to death. But when it comes to the gospel and those that are grounded in the gospel, it gives you three responses to sin. Ready? The gospel causes us to do three things. Repent of our sin, receive forgiveness of our sin, and lastly, live in victory over sin. So let me talk about those three things, and then we'll close it on up. So the gospel causes us to repent of our sin. Repent means to turn. It means to change. It means you're going this direction. The repent means you turn and you go a different direction. Here's what Acts 3, 17 through 20 says. This is Peter preaching to some uh, Jews. He says, Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, also did all your rulers, but God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer. There it is, suffer. It talks about the cross, the suffering, the sacrifice of Jesus. And he thus fulfilled. And then verse 19, Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. And skip down to verse 26. It says, God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you away from your wickedness. I want you to see a couple words that are mentioned in the context of repentance. The word refreshment and blessing. Repentance is a gift. It is not a heavy thing. 
we need to take it seriously, but repentance is a gift. It leads to refreshment, and it leads to blessing by turning us away from the things that keep us entangled and never bear good fruit in our life. So repentance is a gift. And I would say just in this room, if there's things that you've been holding on to, there's things that you're doing that you know are sinful, then this, there's a moment of grace from God this morning. There always is, but as I'm talking about now, there's going to be a moment to respond and say, I am done. I'm going to repent. I'm going to turn because of how much Jesus sacrificed for me, I'm going to turn from this. I'm going to get the help that I need. And I'm going to go the other direction. Connected to repentance of our sin is receiving the forgiveness of our sin. And I do not want to skim over this. Oftentimes, for those of us that maybe you have repented or you at least know you've done wrong, there's this underlying sense of it's better for me if I feel bad for all my sin because somehow that will show that I'm really serious about it. So that is actually called shame and condemnation, and that is actually not from God. What he wants when we repent is to immediately receive his forgiveness. And you know what happens when we receive? It washes away and it leaves behind the shame, the condemnation, the guilt. There's no greater feeling and there's no greater experience when you know you've sinned, but you also know and receive that he fully forgives you and doesn't hold it against you. My top moments with God, I've had some pretty crazy moments with God that would be in the category of the power of the Holy Spirit, but my, my best ones are when I receive the love and mercy of God because he forgave me. That's the best. And here's what 1 John 1, 9 says. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Keep that up there just a second. Look at that last line. That's good. Okay, most of us know he'll forgive us, but look what else he does. Cleanses us from all unrighteousness. You're clean. You're forgiven. So if those of you in this room, you've repented of some things, but you're feeling some guilt, you're feeling some shame from something you did literally this morning, or this could be something from five years ago. The Lord says, let me cleanse you from that unrighteousness. You are free. No more shame, no more condemnation. And if you are feeling that this morning, then please get some prayer from somebody. Say, I just need to believe that God washes me clean from my shame because he wants to do that this morning. Last but not least, those that are grounded in the gospel also learn to live in victory over sin. Does that sound appealing to anybody? Victory over sin? <laughs> I'm not quite convinced by your response, but I think you mean it in your heart. Maybe you're just tired. I've been talking for too long. All right. Let me ask just one more time. Does that sound appealing, living in victory over sin to anybody in this room besides me? <laughs> Thank you, Jeremy. You can always count on Jeremy. So this is, this is great. Simple phrase. Jesus on the cross, he did not only just die to forgive you of your sin, he also died to set you free from the power of sin. He died to forgive you of your sin, but also to set you free from the power of sin. If you're curious if that is a biblical teaching, read Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter, actually read the whole Bible, <laughs> but Romans after, it's, it's all in there. Romans chapter 6. Okay, let me read a couple lines from this, and band, go ahead and come on up. Romans chapter 6. Uh, it's all so good, but let me pick out a couple things. Verse 6, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin, for one who has died has been set free from sin. Verse 11 says, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Verse 12, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey it and its passions. Verse 14 says, for sin will have no dominion over you 
since you are not under law, but you're under grace. Let's get down to, towards the end, verse 22 and 23. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit that you get leads to sanctification, and its end is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So for those of you that you've, you've repented for sin, you've turned, you have received this forgiveness, but you have this thought of maybe there's some habit you keep going back to that you know is not right, or there's some sin you just know you're kind of trapped in, I just feel like there is going to, again, be a grace for you to receive by faith that you actually are not bound to that, that you can live in victory. And guys, as we start this 2022, it is time for us to believe it. It is time. There is ground to be taken in the spirit in Northwest Arkansas, in your personal lives, in your workplaces, and if we are held down by bondage and lies from the devil that makes us not believe that we can live in victory over sin, we're going to miss out on what God wants to do. But when we conquer, for those that overcome, he's going to make us pillars in the house of God. He's going to make us grounded in the gospel. He's going to teach us to repent of our sin, receive the forgiveness of sin, and live in victory over our sin. Now is the time. For those of you that are struggling with lust, or not just pornography, lust, any form of lust, anything you're looking at that is sexual and impure and not from God, there is a grace to turn and repent, and live in victory, if you want it. You can. What if this year, all of us that have struggled with that, turn, and we repent, and we walk in victory? What if? What if those of you that are scrolling through Instagram, and continue to compare yourself, and are bound by insecurity, and compare, what if you stopped, what if you turned, and what if you lived in victory this year? It is possible by the grace of God. What if you're consumed with your image, and you just are, are just beating yourself up? What if you looked in the mirror with confidence, and said, thank you, God. Thank you, God, for how you made me. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. What if there is breakthrough this year? Amen? And I believe the Lord wants us to do that. He wants us to walk in victory, live in victory over sin. So here's what we're going to do. It all starts with the gospel. It all starts with what Jesus did. Anything that I said that is hopeful to you, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be possible without the gospel. It would not be possible without the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And so we're going to take communion together. So why don't you uh, look under your chair. There's a little cup that you can find there. Before you take it, let me just read a couple things just for a second here. So I want you to just, before we take of the elements, I would love for us just to close our eyes just for a second. And as best you can, I know there's always distraction that comes into our mind, but as best you can, if you can just think of Jesus on the cross, this is a real act by a real man that walked the earth. He died on the cross. He shed his blood. If you can just picture him there just for a second. Lord Jesus, we thank you for doing that. We thank you for your sacrifice. And you can keep picturing that if you want, but let me read from 1 Corinthians 11. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. 
Do this in remembrance of me. Why don't you take the bread and go ahead and partake. Thank you, Lord, for your body that was broken for us. Verse 25, it says, In the same way he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So go ahead and take of the cup. Thank you, Jesus, for your blood that was shed for us, for the washing of our sins. We thank you for the gospel, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. And if I can get somebody that knows how to turn the lights down, that'd be awesome. But here's how we're going to respond. If some of our life group leaders and some of our staff can make themselves available to pray over folks just on that sidewall or over here in this sidewall, I really would love for us to respond and receive in prayer for whatever you need. Really, if there's anything that you need, go get some prayer. But specifically, I want you to think of those three things I had said about sin, about how being grounded in the gospel affects our relationship with sin. If there are things you know you need to repent from and turn from, then I would just urge you to go to one of these folks. Everything you share is confidential and just say, hey, I am repenting for this. I want to turn from this. Maybe there's some of you that just feel like, man, I feel weighed down by shame a lot of times from what I did in the past. Or when I do sin, I kind of walk in shame for several days. And you want that broken off your life, then we want to pray for you. The Lord will wash you free from that sin, from that shame. And then third, if you just want the faith to believe you can live in victory and not be succumbed to it or enslaved to sin, that we want to pray the power of God and the victory of Jesus over you this morning. All right? So, Lord, just give you thanks for this morning. And thank you for grounding us in the gospel. Thank you for, for calling us pillars. And, Lord, this morning, I just pray as we respond, God, would you just minister to every heart in this room. Whatever we need, Lord, I thank you that you're here and you would love for it to minister to us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Go get some prayer or you can worship right where you are.